I'm ready and press the button now. Button being pressed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. Derek, how you living? I'm living great. How you living, living buddy? Not too bad, man. I, uh, Amy and I just got back from lunch a little while ago. Uh, there's a new little bodega around the corner from our house that just opened up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do like tacos and, and tortas, and I got this gigantic Cuban torta. Oh, my God. It was so good. It had ham. Dang, it had eggs. It had avocado. It had a hot dog on it. It had bacon. It, it was like so big. <laughs> it was like a feast. I only ate half of it because I, I can't. I couldn't eat the whole thing. It was, Is it uh, a bodega where you have to sit down like on the dirt? No, it's like a little corner store. All right. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. We don't really right. call them bodegas down in New Orleans, I guess. It people it sounds, it sounds, it sounds really nice. Right. So anyway. Glad I, you had a good time. Um, yeah, it was good, man. Anyway. All right. So Derek, we got a special guest today, man. I am really excited. Uh, we've got Neil Thompson on the call. He's going to hang out with us today. After one too many failed presentations, Neil Thompson, an engineer, knew he had to improve. And he did. And now he works with technical professionals like himself to improve their communication skills he hosts the podcast, the Teach the Geek podcast, interviewing technical professionals about their public speaking journeys. He's also the author of the book, Teach the Geek to Speak, a no-fluff public speaking guide for STEM professionals. Uh, Neil, it's awesome to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I don't know how normal podcasters do it. We don't have a podcasting agency or like a, a uh, booking agency. So we do it all ourselves. We both have full-time jobs. And Neil was so good about and very patient about working with us to get on the show. So I appreciate your patience, Neil. I, I tell everybody all the time, we're, we're pretty okay podcast hosts. We're absolutely terrible booking agents. So don't listen to us for booking advice, but you could t- listen to us about software stuff all the time. Just don't ask us anything about booking guests for podcasts. We're not very good at it. So, Neil, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You're a software engineer turned author, public speaker. How'd you get into uh, public speaking and doing that stuff? Tell us a little bit about you. My first job, I worked as a research associate in a lab, and I had to do a lot of writing of test reports and protocols, running experiments. I didn't have to do any speaking at all. Anything that I generated in the lab, I would send to my boss, and he'd be the one that presented the results. I wasn't all that upset about that setup. It wasn't until my second job when I was a product development engineer that I learned months into the job that I had to give presentations in front of management. They made me a project lead. I had to find out what a project lead is. Essentially, Mm -hmm. the company was too cheap to hire project managers. (laughs) So they pushed that responsibility onto the product development engineers. And one of those responsibilities was giving presentations in front of management on a monthly basis. We're talking to CEO, CMO, CTO, C fill in the blank O, all the C's. (laughs) I had to give presentations in front of them on project progress. And those first few presentations that I gave were absolutely horrendous. Uh I did not know it was possible to sweat that profusely from one's body. (laughs) But there I was. It was was coming out of everywhere. The the dry cleaning bills were ridiculous. But I realized (laughs) the issue that I had looking back on is I had all this technical expertise, but wasn't the best at putting it in such a way that these senior management types could understand. Mm. I noticed that a lot of the other engineers, they weren't all that much better at it than I was. Eventually, my project that I was brought, the project that I was actually brought to the company to do was canceled. And I realized then that was the waking call that I needed to get better at giving presentations. I ended up joining Toastmasters to do oh, that. It's an international organization for those of you all that don't know. And its goal is to help people improve their public speaking skills. And it, it provides a great form to do that. And unlike that first job where I was actively avoiding giving presentations, now I was very much looking 
into giving them, even at the company that I was at, no matter where I was, I was always looking to improve these skills. So basically I, I took everything that I learned in becoming more effective in giving presentations and I turned it into an online course geared towards people like myself, engineers, scientists, you know, people in the technical fields. Mm -hmm. And I called it Teach the Geek to Speak. I love that. And that was about four years ago. And I, earlier this year, I decided to make it into a membership because I thought that a one-off course wasn't enough. I wanted to offer more ongoing support. So in addition to getting the course, you also get access to a community and then also monthly calls. And that's essentially was the, the, the fruition, I guess, the, the birth of Teach the Geek. And you mentioned that I also, I have a podcast, the Teach the Geek podcast, and it's really interesting interviewing people, mm -hmm. people that come from the technical fields about their public speaking journeys. And what even is more interesting is learning about their career path. Mm -hmm. Because so many, so many of my guests have had really interesting careers. One that I can even think of, her name was Christine Vartanian. She started off as a civil engineer, then she was an attorney for a few years. Then she was a stay-at-home mom for about 10 years, and now she works as a personal stylist. This is not somebody I likely would have come across just in my regular travels. So it's been really interesting learning about yeah. people's journeys and just knowing that you start off somewhere doesn't mean you have to end up there. That's true. Yeah, you know, this is something I think we, we've talked about before, Derek, about other things. But, you know, software engineering, UX design, product management, whatever, these are very technical skills. And being very good yeah. at that does not mean you're good at other things, right? It could be management, yeah. it could be leadership, it could be whatever. Uh, but in, and in this case, public speaking uh, is is something that a lot of engineers, a lot of UX designers, a lot of product managers are not necessarily familiar with. What are the benefits from your perspective of becoming a public speaker? What are some things that you've seen people be able to do after becoming better public speakers? It really comes down to increasing your visibility within the company. You don't want to be that person sitting in their cubicle mad because someone else got the promotion and raise that you thought you deserved. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes the people who do end up getting those promotions are the ones who are visible and the people that are well networked, the people who have built relationships with the decision makers. And you can do that, at least the visibility part, by becoming better at giving presentations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious, you mentioned having a lot of, a lot of different types of guests. Is there a common thread amongst the various people you've talked to or, or even some of the students that you've had that, you know, someone you, some maybe you can speak to people listening right now and be like, oh, that's me. That sounds like me. I have that problem. Any common threads? Well, I would say, I'd say for the ones that have taken the course, it's the interest in getting better at giving presentations because they see the benefit of it like I did. I mean, initially I didn't and it was something that I actively avoided. But once that project got canceled, as I mentioned, I saw that maybe Maybe this is something that I need to get better at because even though that project was canceled maybe about 15 years ago now, I, I firmly believe that maybe if I was better at presenting the information mm. in a way that these in, these decision makers could understand, maybe I could have saved the project. Even thinking about that project now, it was something that was new to the company. So it was it was really more important for me to be able to communicate the the importance of it because this was something that was outside of outside the expertise of many of the people that were in the audience when I was giving these project these project progress updates. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Derek and I were actually on a on a, a similar project we were on for a couple of years and it ended up getting canceled and we had a meeting with executives and all these other people trying to present all these things and I often wonder like if I had presented something in a different way would they have kept the product on if I was able to influence them in some way would this thing have have kept going and what's interesting about that too is that it's one of the benefits that you mentioned was you know you could get promoted you could get more visibility but but also too another benefit that I think maybe some people not thinking about at first would be the ability to support your team, the ability to talk to, you know, as a manager or something, being able to talk to executives or talk to leadership to maybe deflect some of the stuff that your team would normally get or to change something that might impact your team in a negative way uh, or to influence to help benefit your team in a positive way. So, you know, it's it's funny. There's a lot of a lot of opportunity there for influence, you know, not all just, you know, selfishly for yourself, but also too for your team. Oh, 100%. And when you were talking, it just it reminded me of how I used to give presentations. I would get up there, just state whatever the facts were and try to get out of there as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. But you mentioned an important word, mm-hmm. and that's influence. It, I, as an engineer, I really wasn't thinking about influencing anybody. I just was there to state the facts and the facts speak for themselves. But no, no, they don't. Especially if you're talking to a non-technical yeah. audience, you really have to make the facts matter to them. And, and if they don't matter to them, then the decision will yep, be no. That's true. You know, this is one of my favorite quotes, Derek. I'm going to do the I'm going to do the boat quote. Derek is probably sick of me talking about this quote. I love uh, this but quote. But Antoine de Saint Exupéry was an author from the 40s, French author, and he wrote a book called uh, The Saint, or sorry, Little Prince. And there's a, a quote in this book about building a boat, and it says if if and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it exactly, but if you want to build a boat, you don't find men, you don't bark out orders, you don't chop down trees, hand out hammers. Uh, if you want to build a boat, you you find a bunch of, a group of people and you make them long for the vast and endless sea, right? And it's, it's nothing technical there. It's, you don't have to show them the plans. You don't have to give them a hammer. You don't have to show them how to use a nail. You just make them long for the sea, right? And I think when, when we're talking to executives, as UX professionals or as, as engineers or anybody with very technical skills, you just made a great point. The executives don't care, <laughs> or they might care, but they don't know that they should care, or you know, they don't know the technical terms you're using. So how do you speak to that audience? How do you get them to long for whatever idea you have uh, without, having, without being really technical and confusing them with words and jargon that they don't understand? Yeah, I mean, the big, the big thing there is don't use that technical jargon because mm-hmm. Oftentimes what may very well happen is you'll get questions afterwards about what all that meant. And then all of a sudden, you if you were a sweaty mess before, now you're really a sweaty <laughs> mess. And But mm. the opposite may very well happen. You don't get questions at all. And if that's mm. the case, well, then they probably weren't really listening to what you had to say anyway. <laughs> so so in, I would say that the the solution to that is to use more commonly used words. Mm. So in in so in the alternative would, would be in... in Instead of using that technical jargon that you're used to amongst your colleagues, use words that would be more used just in regular parlance that these non-technical people can understand. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, then you're way more likely to keep them engaged. I love that. So I'm curious. Let, let's talk a little bit about just speaking in general, how to become a public speaker. I'm not trying to give away any anything behind your paywall or anything like that. But you, can you offer some some uh, some advice, perhaps uh, high level advice about becoming a better speaker? Maybe maybe it's even interesting. I was just thinking as I was asking this question, maybe it's it's even interesting to think about from the opposite. How what if people think they're good speakers? Are there is there maybe cues or 
pitfalls or things that you see people falling for, not realizing that it's a bad or a mistake or a bad thing to do? Oh, well, if you look out into the audience when you're talking and they're not looking at you, they're maybe looking at their phones, maybe they're looking off into space, maybe they're even falling asleep. I think <laughs> that's, that's your sign. Uh -huh. And maybe this isn't going so well. But a, a tip that I would offer in getting, just becoming better at giving presentations is knowing your audience. Mm. That's definitely not something that I, that I took into account when I first started giving presentations. I use a whole lot of technical jargon. I wouldn't even put all that much thought into the slides. Oh, really? I just yeah. slap a whole bunch of text onto there and get up there and read them. Not really looking at the audience because I'm looking at my slides, reading them, and I try to get out of there as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But I never got out of there as quickly as possible because I'd get questions afterwards that I thought I'd answered during the presentation. A way to really get to know the, the, the wants and needs of the audience, at least in a company setting, if you're speaking in front of management types, is to go to their administrative assistants and, and pump them for information, Ooh. get their feedback from, get the feedback from that them. Because oftentimes you won't be able to get to the, the manager because, or the, the senior manager, because they're busy. But if you go to their admin and ask them, I have to give a presentation in front of your boss, what kind of information should I have in this presentation so that they pay attention? They may very well give you some great insights. And once they do that, Include that in your presentation. That's awesome. So, give me an example. Like, when 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 have you used that? Just maybe like a concrete example when you when you've done that and it's worked really well. Sure. So, when I used to have to give these presentations in front of senior management, one of the people that was in the audience is the CEO. The CEO is not all that interested in the technology per se. He's interested in what the strategy is in and when it's going to be available. Oftentimes, we would have to have products ready for certain dates certain launches. We want to present this product at this trade show, for instance. So that would be the kind of information I'd go and ask the, at the admin, what trade show are we trying to launch this, this, this product at? And you know, what, when, when's the date of this? You know, when, what, what, what kind of milestones does the CEO need to see for him to believe in the strategy? And that person, the admin would tell me that information and I'd make sure that it was in That's there. That's brilliant. I had never thought of that. Not that I'm an expert on this, but <laughs> I, I honestly, uh, that's not something I would have thought of either. I, my take on this thing is like when I go into a large presentation, I have to share information that's complex and I have to kind of simplify it or abstract it so that other people understand it that aren't like members of my team. I find myself wanting to bring people in like whoever's in the audience. Let's bring it in and create a comfortable environment to have a conversation about this topic. You know, and I find that like that usually works well if you're unclear as to what their needs are. Get them comfortable. I find that works. I don't know if that is that is that a technique that you sometimes encourage? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if people are comfortable, they'll be way more likely to listen. I mean, if they're obviously if they're they're uncomfortable, then you there there could very well be other distractions that that you obviously don't have any control over that will that they may succumb to. But if you do create that, mm. that comfortable environment for them to, to ask those type of questions, then, as I mentioned, they'd be more likely to listen. I remember I was at, a, at a, an event once, and it was a marketing event. And I mentioned I worked as an engineer. I have no marketing experience, but I really wanted to learn more about marketing. This was not too long after I started Teach the Geek. And they used a whole lot of words that I didn't understand, upstream and downstream marketing. And I looked around. And all the other people looked up or were looking at the, the, the person speaking, the presenter, and they seemed to know what they were talking about. They didn't have any kind of quizzical looks <laughs> on their faces. <laughs> and, but I certainly didn't know what was going on. I, to this day, I still mix up upstream and downstream marketing. But 
the person that was giving that presentation, if perhaps if they had built a more, I guess, comfortable environment, as you mentioned, maybe I would have been comf actually comfortable to ask that question. What's upstream and downstream mm -hmm. marketing? Yeah. That's a good point. You brought up a really good point, like this idea of psychological safety, inclusion. What are some maybe tips on how to create that safe environment when you're giving a presentation? Certain phrases to use or maybe not use? Or how do you encourage that sort of safe environment? I like the use of stories. Mm. So and you think of when you maybe when you were a kid and your mom and dad read you a, a bedtime story. That was a very safe environment. You likely were sitting seated right next to them and they had their book open and maybe they're doing the different voices of the characters in the book. And you, you know, you feel really good about it. But once you become an adult and start giving more technical presentations, I think a lot of us move away from telling stories, which mm. is unfortunate. And it's it's definitely something that I did. I didn't think it was even appropriate to really tell stories giving a, a technical presentation. But especially if you're talking to a non-technical audience, it's very important because you want them to actually listen and presenting a whole lot of dry data and technical jargon is just not going to cut it. They, they likely won't listen. But if you couch your data in the form of stories, it's way more likely that they listen to what you have to say. Mm. I love that idea too. Because I'd also too, I think one of the nice things about telling stories is it helps to break down the sort of complex ideas into more maybe relatable pieces, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just abstract ideas. It's like a relatable narrative that somehow this problem you're discussing fits into. And I think it, it's somewhat relatable. I guess it depends on the story you're telling, obviously. But I imagine, you know, you could use context. Like in your case, you were talking about downstream, upstream, not knowing the difference or not knowing what that was. If you if you were to use those words in a story, I imagine you'd be able to infer what upstream and downstream marketing actually meant. I guess it depends on the storyteller, obviously. But uh, if you're doing it effectively, it could probably also answer a lot of questions on its own, perhaps. Oh, yeah. And things are way more memorable when they're told in story form, too. Mm. And that's why eventually I came around to the idea of using them way more often in giving presentations. I love that. So I had this I had this teacher and uh, this professor in college, okay? British lady, and Catherine doesn't listen to this, so I can talk about her all day long, okay? <laughs> Never listened to the podcast. Never would. Not once? Um, so this, not once. Not, not even, once. Maybe even like five minutes. I think she listened to one. <laughs> she says five minutes, probably a minute. She's um, British woman, pretty sure that this professor had a crush on me, okay? Gotcha. All right, that's, that's the thing, all right? And I wrote this paper in the class, and it killed, dude. It was it was so good, like in a good way. It was one of the best 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 papers I ever wrote. I started with a story mm -hmm. to frame the context of what the you know concept was. Everyone started copying the strategy, <laughs> and so everybody had their papers with stories at the beginning. Yeah. And so the next paper I wrote, I just rushed it real quick. I was like, all I need is a story, and then I need to talk about the dumb, stupid thing she wanted us to talk about, and then I'm out of here. Uh -huh. Did it work? She takes me into her office. Oh, this doesn't get weird. No, this doesn't okay. get weird. Takes me to her office, and she, she says, that last paper you wrote, I, I, I'm going to do it like a, a beetle, I guess. That last paper you wrote was great. This one, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and and then and then after that she never uh, there, there was never an indication she had a crush yeah. on me uh, after that she, rubbish maybe paper. Maybe she didn't really have a. So I think the stories work. They just have to be effective. Yes, well, right and you can't story. just do yeah, it to do it. You can't rush it. Yeah, you know that's point. my little that's my little story I, about that. Um, we could let Neil. But yeah, analogies are also. I think I yeah, think Neil would probably tell you you rushed. That's probably the you probably didn't put enough. Effort. That's what it was. Yeah, don't rush your stories. <laughs> um, but I had a uh, I had a lot of experience uh, with analogy actually, uh, Neil. 
uh, using that along with stories to help frame the context behind things. Is that something you also kind of recommend or is that kind of a, a potential pitfall as well? Oh, no. Analogies are great because now you're using phrases and just conditions that people can relate to as well. Just like using commonly used words, those are words that people mm -hmm. recognize. Analogies are situations that people recognize. When you're presenting things that perhaps are outside of people's expertise, as, as, if you're able to make it as relatable as possible, you're going to be more likely to have them listen. So anything like that, analogies, eliminating the, the jargon, using more commonly used words, they're all useful in helping to engage, especially a, a non-technical audience. Now, Derek, I'll say this about Derek. Neil, you probably don't know this because you just met Derek a few minutes ago, but Derek is one of the best analogy uh, analogers, analogers. Is, is there a word for that? One who makes analogies. He is the best analogy maker I've ever I've ever come across. I'm not just saying that because he's my Shut podcast up. host. Shut up. I'm telling you, best analogy I'm maker not. ever. Derek, we used to, you know, what we used not. to do whenever Derek would make an analogy, we would write it up on the whiteboard. This was back when we were in an actual office and we had, you know, people around each other. And we would have a list, a running list. Derek's analogy of the week. <laughs> it was good stuff. Uh, I love Derek is hone, hone the skill of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's see. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, uh, I'm curious, just in general, any advice for becoming a better speaker? If one is out there and thinks, you know, I'm a terrible public speaker. Do you have any advice other than maybe, you know, sign up for <laughs> buy your book and sign up for your course? But uh, any other. Any, that's step one. <laughs> that's, that's tip one. Number one. Any other thoughts? Visualize success. If you tell yourself you mm. suck, you will. But if you tell yourself that you're improving, you likely will. So what I typically do before I give any presentation is I'll close my eyes, I'll take a deep breath, and I'll visualize the way I things the way I, I see things going. So I'll, I'll see myself actually giving the presentation, hitting the points that I want to hit in the order I want to hit them. People are looking at me; they're engaged. When I'm done the presentation, they ask questions. I know the answers to them. If I don't know the answers, I'm comfortable enough to say that I don't know. And I just I visualize how I want things to go, and it really puts me in a very more puts me in a much more comfortable place. So I'm not as nervous getting up in front of that audience to actually give the presentation. So that's my that's a big tip oh that I would offer. I know it sounds kind yeah. of woo woo, but if <laughs> no, you actually that's... visualize yourself doing well, you're way more likely that's to true. do so. I think people these days are uh, focused on manifesting their own success. Like I hear, I hear that a lot. You know, I'm manifesting this. So if you're a manifester, maybe that maybe this can be one of the things you manifest. Speak, speaking of yeah. manifesting, Neil, I've got a question. I think we've often heard this, especially when we were maybe younger, a way to calm your nerves would be to visualize the audience in their underwear. Does that or does that not actually help? <laughs> I would think that'd be rather distracting, especially if there are attractive people in the audience. <laughs> yeah. so that's a good point. I or love a lot that. of unattractive people. Uh, so yeah. so maybe that depends on your audience. Visualize the audience in their underwear if they are yeah. not attractive and would distract you. <laughs> They have to be not, not too, too attractive, attractive and not, not too, too unattractive. unattractive. Then so if way, you have an audience full of people who are... Yeah, this audience is kind of meh. Visualize them. Go for it. Very attractive, yeah. not attractive. Don't. So, curious. Practice. What What are some ways to practice this? Do you recommend mirror? Do you recommend recording yourself? Getting random people to come and sit around while you practice? Any thoughts about practicing? I think all, that, all of those can be helpful. When I, when, I, when I suggest people practice, I'm a big fan of, of them timing themselves and also recording themselves. Mm. When they record mm. themselves, they'll be able to hear those filler words. Mm. And the more you do that, the, 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 more, the more you're aware of the filler words you use. I think people aren't as aware of filler words as they may think they are. I remember I had a coaching client 
and he asked me to review a presentation he gave and he sent me the recording and he used within a 40 minute presentation the word um about 100 wow. times and i don't think he would have known that if i hadn't actually counted them and was able to say at one minute 38 seconds you said um Four minutes and eight seconds, he said. Um, I was able to show at wow. every time. And if you were to go back to the recording and go to those times, he'll hear them themselves. And that's how you get and you get better at, at using less filler words by be actually knowing that you're using filler words. You can't really change something that you're not measuring. And then when it comes to the timing part, I'm a big fan of timing your presentation so that you finish within time. So often people will be given a certain amount of time to give a presentation. And if they don't practice within time, they may very well be way under or they'll go over. So I'm a big fan of practicing the time, but leaving a buffer. So for instance, if you're given 15 minutes to give a presentation, finish within 14. Mm. So in the event that you say something that you didn't practice, you at least have that one minute buffer to play yeah. with. You know, starting this podcast actually helped me see how many filler words <laughs> that we use all the time, like, um, you know, right, you know, that kind of stuff all the time. I, it's funny because now we've, we're something like 70, 80 episodes in, and, you know, we don't do it nearly as much as when we first started. It's really interesting. Back when I was in high school, yeah. I had an English teacher who would have us do presentations. And when we would do a presentation, she would get a taboo buzzer, you know, a little thing, eh, you know, eh, right? and every time we said a filler word, she would buzz. <laughs> and not only that, she would she would deduct a full point from the grade starting at 100 every single time you said Whoa. like, um, or whatever. And I That's mean, I, just in, in, in co- you know, high school kids like, uh, you know, like we got to go like, uh, like, you know, like just all the See, time. Bruh. right? And it was eh, eh, eh. it was one of the funniest things. But it was really helpful, though, because I think back then nobody really that was the only teacher that I ever had that said anything about filler words out of my what 12 something years of education. Um, and so I just did it. Look at that. And, uh, <laughs> that was the only one. And it was really interesting. I'm curious though. Filler words is something we just see, we just do. What are some ways to keep ourselves from using the filler words? Do you have any tips or advice there? Don't be afraid of pauses. Pauses. I think a lot of times when we use filler words, it's because we need a word to fill up our neck before we give our next thought. And so we may say those filler words like, um, you know, especially mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. um is um is the bridge between one thought and another a lot of times. Yeah. So be more comfortable mm-hmm. just pausing. I remember I had a, a podcast guest and he used a lot of ums. And my mother called me afterwards and she said that she couldn't listen anymore. <laughs> got to maybe about two minutes into the, the conversation. But he used um so many times. It was so distracting to her that it, she just stopped listening. So for the people out there who are are on the fence on whether to eliminate ums and you knows and so's filler words from your presentations, it's really helpful to do so because you'll have more people willing to listen to your presentation. Oh, people yeah. who aren't bothered by them are going to listen anyway. But the people who are distracted by them, now they will listen. Uh, that's a really great point. And, and, so, and so will Neil's mom. You're lucky because my mom, I don't even think she knows Indeed. I have a podcast. She's never asked. <laughs> 
my mom listened to like three episodes, Jeremy. She said, uh, she said, oh, you did. It's so sweet, honey. I I love what you guys are doing. 40 years old. I'm pretty sure my mom has no idea what I do. I think she bought a sticker. No, you know, I'm saying that now, and she's probably going to text me after this. Like, after we record this, sometimes she, yeah, somehow she's on this mom, call. All my mom and, knows is like, that I do something in. with computers. Yeah, she's great. She Mom's oh, he, do, he does computers. That's what my mom yeah. does. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, when we talk about <laughs> uh, tools, things to become better and more effective uh, speakers, any any advice on tools? Do we need tools? Just pen and paper, computer? We don't really need any tools at all. What are your thoughts? Well, I think you need a recorder. Just and you have that in your phone. You go. Just record yourself giving presentations, and when you do that, I mean, you'll be as I mentioned, you'll be able to count those filler words. You'll be able to see where the pauses were perhaps more effective than other places. If you video yourself, it's even better mm-hmm. because now you'll actually see yourself giving the presentation, and you'll be able to pick up on any sort of nonverbal ticks perhaps that you that you use. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in Toastmasters, and I actually was a judge for a, a competition and it was two judges myself and another another person and we had to judge this person giving a speech and after the presentation i judged the person based on what they said and the other judge based the mm. his, his evaluation solely on what he saw wow so for instance one of his one of his feedback was the person patted their left i think it was the right leg with their hand during the presentation I didn't even notice the person <laughs> was patting their, their their leg with their hand. Yeah. I was more concerned with what they were actually saying. Was it clear? Was it presented in a, in a way that made sense, was easy to follow? So it just it just goes to show that people judge you on different on different metrics, and these are all things you need to take into account when practicing and, and delivering presentations. That's a really good point because, you know, this is sort of like one of those biases, like cognitive bias. I'm not sure exactly which one this would be. But the bias that, you know, you assume people aren't bothered by things because you're not bothered by them, right? Like, for instance, my wife can't stand it when I tap. And I have ADHD, so I'm constantly tapping. I've, I got, like, fidget spinners and everything else. Like, like I, you know, I'm, and I'm sitting down, I, like, I tap my foot. It kind of helps me think. Uh, even when I'm not making noise, I'm just, like, moving my hand or something, you know? Drives her absolutely nuts. She can't focus on anything that I'm saying. If I we're having a conversation, just a simple conversation, and I'm tapping my leg or I'm moving my foot or my hand or I'm doing something, she can't focus on what I'm saying. And I think that's like a really great point that you mentioned. You focused on the content. That other person focused on the visual. He couldn't get past the visual piece. It, it completely distracted, much like those filler words that you were referring to. So it's kind of interesting thinking about that and knowing that you're doing those things and just, you know, I don't know. One of the things I like to do is watch TED Talks because I feel like people who are invited to do TED Talks are probably like the creme de la creme of presentation givers. I don't know. Would you agree with that? Do you think that's true or no? You have maybe maybe you have a different opinion. Well, people that give TED Talks, they've had to rehearse for months in many cases to give the TED Talk in the way they do it because there's a time constraint and they have to stand on a certain a mm. certain spot and there's there's no there's no avenue for any sort of freelancing interesting when you're when you're giving a, a TED it's talk. so high stakes yeah it, it, it certainly is and so for people but i will say that most ted talks i've ever seen they're 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 pretty they're quite exceptional mm-hmm. because of the work that you had to do to actually give yeah. the ted talk now you know this is one thing that i perhaps uh thinking about as a ux designer i don't know if developers think about this but this idea of comparing yourself to other people you look at other people you see what other people do and you think, oh, I'm not as good. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's that's better. I'll never be that good. 
And then when when I think about this, how it relates is I, I look at TED Talks and, and and people out there are probably watching things like TED Talks, thinking about how impressive they are. I'll never be that good. But what you just said makes you makes level sets it in a in a way because these people are spending months and weeks. They probably have coaches. I'm sure. I'm assuming the TED. Inc. group, whatever it is, whoever runs it, probably provides them with a coach to help them practice to get that good. So that's kind of, it's sort of in a way almost inspiring in that this is, again, is a skill, right? Just like developing is a skill, UX design is a skill. You can get better at being a public speaker. This is a skill that you can practice and over time improve. Yeah, which I think a lot of people probably mm-hmm. don't think that they go, oh, I can't, I, I can't speak in public. I can't speak in front of people, but there I'm are just certainly a bad things speaker. like, you know, with, that I'm sure you yeah. might learn in your course and the books and everything else. But over time, if you feel like you're a bad speaker, the only way you'll get better is to just do it just to practice over time. You get more comfortable. The more comfortable you are, the better speaker you will become standing in front of 50, 20, a hundred, 200 thousands of people um, might be intimidating at first, but if you keep doing it over and over and over again, you'll get more comfortable. You become more comfortable. You become more natural. You're a better speaker. Yep. Practice makes progress. Uh, practice, man. I love that. That's a, I love that. And you know, practice, practice uh, makes progress. Uh, Back in high school, I had a, a band director who used to tell us, now, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> and it was just, you know, because practicing wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you set yourself down a wrong road. Now, my my little man, uh, little shout out to Remy, my little guy. He uh, got his yellow belt recently, Jeremy. We talked all about this. Very excited, proud of him. His karate teacher talks about that all the time. You know, I learn a lot from his karate teacher. I, I really do. He's he's uh, he's a you know wise man. But it's uh, you know it's tough sometimes for 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 us to get past the fact that we are the way we are now. You know, I was mm-hmm. a sweater, a big time sweater, like a like a Christmas sweater. I mean, you could call like me a, a super sweater when I first started. I mean, yes. Well, I didn't like, I wasn't born a sweater and then I One turned into sweats. a human. I was a sweating, I was a sweating uh, presenter. And the reason I was sweating was because I would go into presentations a lot of time, not knowing what the heck I was going to say. And just hoping, like I did in school, that the minimal amount of work that I did preparing for the presentation would make me comfortable enough to give it. I'd get up there and I'd be like, the 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 thing that... And I'd stutter and I would, you know, um, and, you know, tap my foot and, you know, the hand gestures would come out and I'd, you know, it, but if it's this big, I'm this big, you know. So those are, those are instincts, I think, that people have to work themselves out of. But I've gotten better over the years and I got better because people told me. I did presentation courses at my job, which helped. Toastmasters, I did one meeting in Toastmasters, so I'm a Toastmaster. Um, that's they call them Toastmasters <laughs> or Toaster. Toast. It's a toaster. It was a, a pleasant experience. It was part of a, the uh, intern group that I was uh, working with. They did Toastmasters. It was nice. But yeah, I mean, I had presentations in front of like executives and CEOs and stuff. And when I got in those situations, all oh. oh, the sweat yeah, started flowing. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, that Neil? That was me. And actually, I have a friend who makes fun of the fact that now, before I give presentations, I practice them. He does a lot more winging it. But at least for me, you can see the difference. When I practice, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. I practice my presentation so that they finish within a certain amount of time, especially if I was given a certain amount of time. And I give a lot of thought as to the way in which I want to give the presentation. How do I want to make my points? In what order? And you can do all of that because you're preparing beforehand. When you get when you just wing it, it just comes out as it comes out. And it may not come out in the in the best way. 
And if it doesn't come out in the best way, well, then you may very well lose people in the audience. I did a talk last week, two weeks ago, about storytelling for Interaction Design Association here in Cincinnati. And I practiced, like, and I had it was in a conference room at the office, and I, like, stood up and presented, <laughs> you know, just as if I would. And I do, I do the same thing. I think, like, winging it is very difficult, um, especially, unless it's something you know intimately and you know that topic backwards and forwards. But if, especially if it's the first time you're giving that specific talk, I think winging it is very dangerous. I don't know. Some people might be yeah. improvisers, impro- improv types might, might be into that, but I don't know. I think that no matter what, if you write out what you're going to do, the plan beforehand, I think like Neil says, you're going to mm-hmm. go at it with more structure with more and make more sense out of the situation. I don't care how good you are at improv. Like you made the best improv presenter in the world. You'll, you'll probably could, you probably convince a lot of people that you prepared, but the guy who prepares doesn't need to be the best improv, but you know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't take that much effort to prepare. And it's generally a good idea because you, you'll you think about hurt. things. Oh, you know what? If I mention this thing, it's going to trip them off to think about this, you know, or they're going to think I mean this. I can't tell you how I, during the day I can tell you how many presentations I'm in. I'm like, they think you meant that. Now I have to mm. go in and be like, all right, guys, they didn't mean you know, using analogies. Yeah. Derek. It's like when you're a kid on the playground and some kid insults you and then you say something and then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, I should have called his mom a name or something. <laughs> Same kind of thing. You know, if you had prepared, if you knew what they were going to say and you could come up with an insult, bam, got it. So Neil, lastly, before we get you out of here, I, I got a question. Just things to avoid. Anything you see people doing over and over and over again that you just sort of like stop doing this in your presentation. Anything that just really grinds your gears. Things that drives you nuts that you see people do that you well, wish they'd stop. It's I mean, we mentioned it before. It's it's the lack of preparation. The lack of preparation. I mean, okay. You have somebody that's given, especially if I'm in a conference. I remember back when I used to work as an engineer, I have to go to these conferences. Mm-hmm. And you know, conferences have agendas. And you'd see the agenda. You know that from 10 to 10.15, this person is supposed to present. Why is this person now still talking at 10.17, mm-hmm. 10.18, 10.19? They're still going. And you're just thinking, this is going to throw the whole agenda off kilter. And now I'm yeah. going to be late for lunch. And now I'm <laughs> mad because now I'm hangry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, at the oh. end of the day, it's all that matters, right? Yeah. Like, don't make me late for lunch. I don't want to be late for lunch. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, in this case, too, those, these conferences, thousands of dollars. I mean, you're paying a lot of money for a lot of these things. Get your money's worth, you know, especially that, that would drive me crazy because, you know, those those speakers are probably getting paid to be there, too. It's like you getting paid. You didn't put that much effort into this thing. Uh, that would drive me nuts. All right, Neil. So I think we got a lot of good tips. Anything else before we wrap this up? We got a little game we want to play with you. But anything, any other final parting advice? You want to get better at public speaking, presenting, or you want to get better at anything. You can read all the read all the books, listen to all the podcasts, watch all the YouTube videos. You don't get better at it until you actually do it. Until and do as it. I That's mentioned, right. practice makes progress. So get practice out there and do progress. it. I love that. Practice makes progress. I'm going to start using that. you mind if I use that? Can I steal yes. that? Yes, you have to credit. I'll, I'll credit. Time, I'll give you a little time. footnote every time. Uh, all right, cool. So we got a lot of good advice here. I think one of that one of the best advice I, I think out of this whole thing is is using the the administrative assistance when you t- when you meet with executives. That is a brilliant bit of advice. Use your stories. Use analogies. Be relatable. Don't use jargon. Use common language. People will understand. Practice. Record yourself. Mm-hmm. Stop with the filler words. Pause. 
You like I did that? I paused. I saw that. Uh, so that you don't use the filler words. I love that. Um, this has been really awesome. You know, so we've got a little game that we like to play with all of our guests. We call it This or That. And we just set a quick two-minute timer. Uh, we're just going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. And you tell us if you like this thing or that thing. Are you ready? Ready. All right. We weren't, we're not going to judge you. I promise. All right. Uh, dog or cat? Dog. All right. Uh, ice cream, cone, or a cup? Cone. Um, All right. Uh, working from home or working from the office? Working from the office. All right. Mac or PC? PC. All right. Tabs or spaces? Spaces. All right. Legend of Zelda or Mario Brothers? Mm. Mario Brothers. Mario Brothers. This man, Derek, he is on it. He knows exactly he's what he, he knows what he likes. Yeah. All right. Mentor or Dementor? Mentor. That's a that's a that's a Harry Potter joke from Derek. Gotcha. He likes that yeah. one a lot. Football or basketball? Basketball. Ooh, Which favorite Derek? team? Which favorite team? The Raptors. Raptors. I respect Raptors. that. I respect that. All right. Go ahead. Being from New Orleans, you know, Derek. How to feel? Derek, how to feel when Kawhi left? Very sad. Very sad. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but one day we'll win again. One day you win again. That's right. That's how. <laughs> that's how it is. All right. I respect. That. Got a few more left. High tech or low tech? Low tech. Oh, I like that. All right. Uh, Marvel or DC? Marvel. All right. Ninjas or pirates? Ninjas. All right. Let's see. I got a couple more here. Really important. Don't mess this one up. Love or money? Money. Money. There he is, honest. Neil's Whoa. honest. All right. Whoa, no hesitation. All right. uh, this one this one is uh we're this might be the only one where Derek and I judge you, but Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Yeah. That's my guy. All, All right. right. What's your favorite uh favorite se- favorite series? Next generation. Next generation. Wow. Great Ooh. All right. Wait, let's see. Uh favorite TNG episode. Ooh, ooh. now he's gotta think. Uh, favorite episode. It's hard to say. One. It's hard. It's hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been so many years. Yeah. I mean, I really the re- the reason I even picked the Next Generation is because when I was a kid, I had to watch it because my father was a big fan of it. Okay. And we had one TV in the house. Oh, I got you. Derek and I are huge Star Trek fans. Last mm-hmm. week, actually, we talked about. Uh, I went up to Huron, Ohio. There's a the Federation headquarters is up there, and it's this nonprofit. And they have like all these cool like memorabilia and stuff. So it was pretty neat. Got to go in there and geek out on some Star Trek stuff for a minute. All right, Love it. so let's see. Now that we got that out of the way, we got a few questions. Since you t- teach the geek, we got some geeky questions for you. Some real nerdy questions. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien or George R.R. Martin? J.R.R. Tolkien. All right, Middle Earth. Or Westeros? Middle Earth. All right. Stargate or Farscape? Stargate. Stargate. Way, way more geeky than Star Trek. Star Wars. All right. Uh, Nikola Tesla or Elon Musk? Nikola Tesla. All right. Commodore 64 or Atari 2600? Commodore 64. All right. Last but not least, Warcraft or Warhammer? Warcraft. Warcraft. All right, my man. All right, Neil, that's it for us. That's all we got. Uh, Before we get out of here, why don't you tell us about your book, your podcast, URLs, links, where we can find you and everything like that so people can check you out online. Sure. You can go to teachthegeek.com. And then also, if you're looking for some more tips, you can go to teachthegeek.com slash tips. Tips. That's it. I like it. Short, concise. So teachthegeek.com teachthegeek.com slash tips and uh, we can buy the book I assume uh, from your website or Amazon or Indeed. all right right on teach the geek to speak if you want some tips on how to become a better public speaker uh, Neil this has been awesome thank you so much for the awesome insights we really appreciate you joining us uh, check us out on retrotimepodcast.com get yourself some stickers retrotimepodcast.com slash stickers Derek unfortunately I am going to be out next week with a workout all week 
So I'm not going to be able to hang out and record some of those review jams. <laughs> so uh, that made me very sad. But uh, I know this is this is a bummer. But if you want to review, leave a five star review, and Derek, uh, maybe me, but probably Derek, will write you a five star review jam. We'll publish it on the RSS feed and on the website, and it'll get your, get your very own song if you leave a five star review. Check out those review jams, retrotimepodcast.com/slash/reviews. And that's it. Until next time, y'all. We'll see you. Take it easy. All right, Neil, that was fantastic, man. I, I appreciate it. That was really good. I hope you had fun. <laughs> we sorry, like to goof off a lot, but you know that's just us. Oh no, I I certainly did. And even if I didn't, I probably wouldn't say anything. I just keep it to myself. <laughs> I'd be rather, very rather awkward. <laughs>